Hello, my name is Lindsay Sarah Krasnoff, and I'm here with you today for another episode of the Global Sport Conversations podcast series on behalf of CISD and SOAS. I'm joined by Chris Dial, founding president of the Basketball Embassy and longtime FIBA coach. Chris, you've crafted a fascinating career in global sport and in global basketball, to be specific, both as a coach as well as through your work with the Basketball Embassy. Can you start by telling us a little bit about how you began working in the sector? Yeah, sure. So, you know, born and raised in San Antonio played basketball my entire life. When I got done with my undergraduate degree, decided to go into coaching, you know, kind of formally. I was already doing some on the side, but grabbing a a public school teaching coaching job, it, it lent my summers to do traveling, to do, you know, some different things, take on some different things. So in 2008, I started having conversations with the Turkish Basketball Federation, kind of a random serendipitous relationship and it flourished and blossomed. I went over there 2009, worked with their youth grassroots program, development program, and every year since then, you know, for the last decade, the work overseas got a little bit more involved. The the time spent got a little bit longer and uh, that's essentially kind of was my break into the international scope or, or sector for basketball and development. And you know, that's usually a, a very different sort of an entree into the basketball um, world at large, literally entry into the basketball right. at large world. Thinking back to that first experience you had in Turkey, which was a very different culture from San Antonio, in what ways did basketball serve to help as a common denominator or a common language? In every way. I think you would have been hard pressed to find a more 180 degree separation of people than somebody from South Central Texas and somebody from Southeastern Turkey, you know. So, you know, basketball was the uh, common denominator. And, you know, that's part of why I love, you know, the game is just, it has a way to sort of hide, you know, every other difference, every other divide, every other distinctive label that, that we could place on each other. So despite being from completely different political, you know, backgrounds, social, economic backgrounds, you know, religious, you name it, we jumped right into, you know, doing what we all love. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the game allowed us to be vulnerable. The game allowed us to be comfortable and to, you know, find ourselves really in kind of a safe space. And then through that, we were able to develop relationships that I think would have been not impossible, but, you know, really, really difficult to develop had we not been cheating using the the greatest game on the planet to to do it for us. Right. And it's these people to people exchanges that we look at so often when we look at the intersection of sports and diplomacy in that the sports terrain or the sports field or the basketball court in this case serves as a way to bring people together and through interacting as you do, whether you're teammates together or playing against each other or in the stands together or coaching together, just learning more about each other and breaking down some of those barriers that exist and demystifying the other part of, you know, this informal people to people diplomacy, that's part of the public diplomacy toolbox. Could you talk a little bit then about how once you've gotten into this international basketball career, how you came to create the basketball embassy and what the basketball embassy does and how you see it moving forward in this field. Right. Yeah, good question. You know, they tell you when you start an organization, have your have your elevator pitch ready, you know, and my, the elevator pitch for the basketball embassy has gotten 
really complex just due to the scope of, you know, kind of the work we're doing in the places that we've been. But in essence, after traveling for three or four years and working with a number of uh, national federations under the, you know, umbrella of FIBA and specifically FIBA Europe, it kind of became almost laughable when a country would call, you know, for example, Turkey as a top 10, you know, national federation in the world. And uh, some of the neighboring countries geographically, they'd reach out and they'd say, hey, we're struggling, uh, you know, especially with our youth. Um, we need a development program. We need a, a vision. And then we, we need the, you know, the practicalities of implementing, you know, such a program. So Turkey was great because they'd be like, hey, we got this guy, <laughs> you know, we got Chris from Texas, you know, and it, they'd give me a hard time because they'd like Dr. Amir Taram, a guy that I'm definitely looking forward to connecting with this university and everything that you guys are doing through sports diplomacy, because he's, he's an ambassador, you know, to the game. But he was the special assistant to the president of FIBA Europe for a long time. He, he held an administrative position in the Turkish Federation for a long time. So he was a great mouthpiece for me and also for what Turkey was doing in their grassroots. So he would field these conversations. And finally, one day he was like, Chris, I can't continue to tell people that I have a guy from Texas that will come and change their lives. You know, he's like, you need to formalize this with some some type of organization, you know, some some entity. And so that that's when we got back home, got back to San Antonio and pulled in some people that I know, trust and love and that were smarter than I was. And we came up with the concept of the basketball embassy in essence to try to create ambassadors to the game and whatever it was that we were doing, whether it was, you know, feet on the ground development work, coaching teams, coaching programs, building players, consulting, uh, you name it. And, and so that was sort of the premise behind TBE was just uh, let's be this uh, machine that, that helps enable and empower people through the sport. Very much, very much an ambassador um, of the game uh, in and of itself. And so you've had a variety of different experiences uh, at the intersection of basketball and diplomacy in your career. Just kind of in general, uh, how have you experienced these intersections? I'm constantly sort of humbled by what I would just say has been a cool front row seat, you know, to a lot of these things. You know, watching people that represent two cultures that maybe have been at war with each other for thousands and thousands of years, and then figure out how to strategize together so that they can be successful in a space, you know, via a sport. And so whether it be, you know, from a conflict resolution, you know, standpoint, all the way to watching young women in conservative Muslim societies start to compete, start to feel empowered, start to see themselves navigating, you know, hurdles in society through this sport. And the role that we play, the role that I'm playing essentially is just I'm, I'm introducing people to the game and then I'm helping them kind of fall in love with it. You know, and then after that, it just sort of does it on its own. So, you know, in my experience, it just it, it's it's a constant reminder of what an incredible tool basketball is and, and how profound it is in terms of positively affecting change. I wonder if we could talk a little bit more in depth in terms of some of your specific experiences to kind of brush, put into finer brush strokes what this looks like. And I know we've spoken at length before about your work in Kosovo and helping to create the first Kosovar basketball team. Yeah, that was an extremely unique opportunity. Kind of the same thing. Kosovo had been, um, you know, told by the the Olympic Committee, hey, you guys can start to compete internationally. FIBA and specifically FIBA Europe followed suit. So now all of a sudden they had this purpose, you know, that they they were seeking prior to because they already had a great basketball culture. They had an ex-Yugoslavian influence. They had, you know, their neighbors were all heavily involved in the sport. So Kosovo had the passion. They had the uh, the blood flow, you know, was there, but they, they lacked uh, the skeleton, you know, I guess. They couldn't 
you know, they couldn't move forward because they were capped essentially by society, by, you know, global politics, and they were not able to participate. So now all of a sudden they had, they had the ability to do that. That was in 2014, late 2014 when they found that out. So March of 2015, I'm living there um, all of a sudden because they did. They referenced uh, their friends in Istanbul and Turkish Federation pointed them in my direction. So going over there completely changed my life and my perspective because I had already been doing this work, but I had never fully, fully immersed myself in a culture, you know, like that. So being feet on the ground for a month is one thing. Being feet on the ground for a couple of years is different. And then going through those hurdles with them, you know, with that name on my chest as well, made it different than, you know, picking up and going home after, you know, a hard month's work or whatever it was. So it was an incredible experience. Um, it's a, it's an incredibly resilient group of people, very passionate about what they're doing. And to this day, we've got such amazing ties to Kosovo, to all the cities in, in the country. There'll be people that listen to this and will smile and grin, you know, just hearing Coach Chris talk about those times. But since then, they've really kind of taken off. I mean, we laid a nice platform and a foundation. Uh, they had a forward-thinking administration, and they've come an extremely long way in a very short amount of time to be not just competitive, but also be to show elements of a program that are also important in terms of the intangibles of what they're doing. Right, exactly. You know, one of the things we look at when we look at the intersections of sport and diplomacy is the way that an athlete or especially a national team takes on some of the trappings of diplomacy, right? The communication, representation, and negotiation in a variety of different ways. And here's specifically, you know, building the first national team for the Kosovo men's team. That does a lot in terms of representation, especially for a country like Kosovo with all of its weighted history. What was it like helping them to create the representative entity the both the you've talked a little bit about the basketball side but a little bit more about the intangibles yeah I mean that's probably I mean that's the part it's definitely the most valuable part and it's hard to coach that you know it's hard to coach that um, the same way that you'd coach them to, to run a certain transition scheme and you know and defend a certain way so but it's fun because what you do essentially is you try to pull out, you try to extract all the best qualities of a culture, of a people, and you place a premium on those. And then you make sure that in your work, in your professional scope, in, in your craft, that those are being exuded, you know, at every opportunity. So, you know, watching these boys understand why it was important to, as something as simple as just being punctual, you know, being early, showing up prepared, um, taking care of their bodies, um, you know, practicing good habits, uh, sleep, hydration, and then interactions with adults and uh, interactions with themselves and interactions with foreign people that they had never met before. And kind of seeing them embrace what those elemental things were and how much they mattered, those dynamics and how they play into human interaction. It was incredible because by the time we went through that first cycle, we had a group of young men that really were representing the best that that country had to offer. And they were doing it proudly and they were doing it cognizantly. They, they, they understood that they were on, on a platform. They understood that, you know, there's a lot of people watching. And they also knew that there was a lot of people back home, you know, watching. So what did it mean for the people back home watching this team really construct itself and do pretty well for its first time out of the gate? Right. To try to contextually explain the significance. You know, one thing I always heard when I was working in the Balkans, it could have been in Macedonia, Bulgaria, you know, Romania, Albania, 
but Kosovo as well, is that you, you hear about this Balkan mentality, and it's by their own people. This isn't an American concept. This isn't Chris, you know, saying this. I would constantly hear this from different people. Oh, it's just the Balkans, man. You know our mentality. You know, I, so I start to learn, like, what, well, what is that? And essentially, they talked about how in that area of the world, everybody they're fighting for scraps. Let's say uh, from from Western Europe, you know, maybe from the states or whatever, in terms of basketball, in terms of whatever. And uh, they would talk about how it was never going to be good enough to try to go beat France or, or Spain or Italy. They they were just you know they were talking about just being the best in that group you know in, in in those countries but anytime somebody from even within the country so for example like in Kosovo if there was a young man that was really talented good enough to maybe be noticed by an international scout maybe even be noticed by someone in the states if they started to climb their way out of you know their existence there that mentality suggested that the people around them would do whatever they could to pull them back down and again for whoever's listening this is experiential observation this isn't my own because I don't believe that actually I, I what I witnessed again again, was a bunch of hardworking, uh, super resilient, passionate people. But when the boys went out and started to represent Kosovo as a, as a nation, as an autonomous entity, what I saw definitely was some of those differences and some of those, what I would consider even petty distinctions between towns, between clubs, between groups of people, rural and urban and, you know, political sides and all, they set those things aside. And they all dove in and got behind this group because they finally had this sense of nationalism. You know, they finally had a purpose. They finally had something to root for. And the truth is, I love to talk about basketball. I love to talk about how important it is, but this could have been a ping pong team. I mean, it could have been anything. It just, it, it's the fact that they got to compete on an international stage and it was a legitimate competition and they got to get behind these these boys and they gave them a hero's departure and a hero's, you know, reception when, when they got back. So, it was extremely profound, and the, the momentum from that initial summer is still visible, you know, today. It's, it's really blossomed and flourished and grown, and it's, uh, it's been incredible to see what that initial step did for, you know, for the entire country. You know, certainly this is a very different experience than what you've had in some of the other countries in which you've done work. I know you just came from Belarus. Yeah, Belarus was not, they weren't looking for somebody to start a program. They've got a really rich history. Uh, I've been competing at a high level for a long time. Again, coming from kind of that ex-Yugoslavian Soviet Union, the communist period of time also sort of gathered and solidified a very purposeful and deliberate sports machine, you know. And uh, athletes were being produced almost in, in an assembly line fashion. So you have some incredible historical figures in basketball in, in a place like Belarus. When I was there, it was the first time I'd been on the ground, a guy named Yegor. And Yegor was, he's the most decorated men's basketball player in the country. But now he's helping with the federation. He's helping with youth development. So this specific project wasn't about let's build this house from the ground up. This was like, hey, the house is built. It's been around for a long time. It's a little weathered. You know, it may need a little bit of restructuring. We may need to remodel a little bit, but it's a sturdy house. And so when I showed up, the approach is different because they understand a lot of things that come along with just having a history, you know, in an organized space. So we work mainly on 
developing pockets of that whole. So we were looking at trying to streamline or make more efficient maybe some of the ways that they're doing things so that they can achieve the results that they'd like to achieve. Sounds like this particular example of the intersection of basketball and diplomacy fits a little bit more under the umbrella of another question I was going to ask you in terms of how does coaching fit under this umbrella of knowledge exchange? which is a different type of people-to-people exchange, but still similarly within the sports field? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, in answering that, I, you know, I wanted, going back to kind of what the basketball embassy does is we are a development organization. So we, we pride ourselves in the ability to teach this game and, and do it, you know, in every facet. But we place an equal, if not greater, premium on those intangible things. So our coaches are teachers first. They're, you know, they're teaching the game, but they also understand life dynamics and they understand, you know, humanity and they're, you know, most of our coaches don't even, they they weren't even educated to be coaches. They were, I have a master's in international studies. You know, my undergrad was political science and psychology and I was studying things that wouldn't lend themselves to me be screaming on a sideline about what offense we're running. But that, you know, that's a lot of the people that I've kind of surrounded myself with. So anyway, I wanted to throw that in. But yeah, in terms of, you know, playing that role as a coach and sharing information and, and knowledge, you know, you, you've got to know all these different dynamics of who you're talking to. You know, what what is your audience? Because it doesn't matter how much I know. Uh, it only matters how much I can get you to retain. And uh, that's that teacher mentality. You know, it's I've got to be an effective teacher because there's a lot of different types of learners. And when you talk about sports diplomacy, you're talking about an entire globe full of different learners. You're talking about people that come to the table from all walks of life. Uh, they didn't have the same experience as you. There's some empathy in there. You, you've got to understand where they're coming from. I talked to organizations in the States, which are incredible organizations that do incredible work, but it's not always relevant to our international visitors. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're talking about manipulating variables that don't exist somewhere else, you know, um, in terms of, you know, hey, if you guys want to use this program, you know, use this pro. Well, that program wouldn't work there because it's a, you know, one, maybe the resources it requires don't exist in that space. Two, there's cultural components to that that don't necessarily make sense. They're not applicable to that, you know, that group. So as a coach, again, in this space, you've really got to be adaptable. you got to be knowledgeable. And if you don't, you're going to be you know, ineffective. And it could be dangerous because you, some of these places, like a place in Belarus, if if I would have gone there and that would have flopped, I would never get an invitation back there. There's a very, there was a very small margin of error there for our organization to go in and do a good job. And if we didn't, we're not just representing our organization, we're representing the states, we're representing the, you know, that crossroads and that history. Um, It's important. I'd have a little bit greater margin of error if I was working in Germany. That's really fascinating. And it gets to this uh, question in terms of how the intersection of, well, how basketball diplomacy can look different from one country or one region to another uh, based on their individual basketball cultures. Right. We don't often talk about it, but take the United States. Basketball diplomacy matters in the States. And and we talk about it, and I'm the most guilty uh, about its effectiveness abroad. But in the States, we use it to kind of homogenized, you know, homeless youth with the, the, the classmates that they go to school with that have a home. For example, we, we do it to empower young women, you know, in spaces. Um, we do it to, you know, enrich quality of life by placing a premium on self-respect and uh, the ability to fail and that be okay, you know, and, 
and talk about perseverance and, and how hard work and dedication actually does matter, and you can see it to fruition. Those are all diplomatic uh, elements that come through in the game. Abroad, it's, you know, it is different based on where you're at. You know, working in Sweden, you know, for example, is a lot different than doing a camp in northern Cyprus or in Moldova or, you know, one of these places. But it still matters in Sweden. You know, Sweden's very organized. They have a ton of resources, but they also have an influx of, of people that don't traditionally look Swedish. And they're trying to figure out socially how to navigate some of those hurdles that come with a newly diverse population. And sports is a microcosm of that. So whether it be basketball or soccer or anything else, but we, you know, we're able to kind of teach them how far a little bit of respect for your, you know, your community member can go. So there's values placed on that element that are different. They're weighted differently, you know, by different cultures and, and where you're at. And they serve a certain purpose, you know, depending on where you're at. I'm also always struck by this interesting double-edged sword with basketball in that wherever I go outside of the United States, people say, see basketball and they see it as the global sport or one of the global sports next right. to football. But at the same time, that's also how they have for many, um, especially in the younger generations, basketball is their entry point into American culture and trying to understand some of the variables in that. So it's it's interesting that it's seen as both an American sport, but also a very a sport of the world and a global sport. No, it is, especially now versus, you know, where we were a decade ago versus where we were two decades ago and so on and so on. And I think it's only going to get more and more that way. In fact, I think that the relative influence that America has on the sport is actually going to become less and less and less. But you're right. I mean, you know, I was in downtown Minsk um, watching the European games. Uh, Belarus finished third. They got the bronze in, on the men's and the women's side, which was a huge uh, accomplishment for them. But I'm walking around at this giant festival and there's like Golden State Warriors jerseys everywhere. You know, the Kyrie Irving Boston jerseys. Unfortunately, I didn't see any Spurs gear. But, um, you know, there was a you see the, the marketing power, you know, that the league has, the NBA, and then also its scope of influence. And so even when we're working with these kids, I will use on purpose, I will use a, a native or a, a, a national team player from their country sometimes to try to place value and legitimacy on my example. So, I'll, you know, I'll say like, hey, if you guys want to, if you kids want to shoot like this and you need to watch Luka Doncic, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, Luka. But if I say Steph Curry, they lose their minds. You know, they still, there's still such a heavy presence from our American, you know, stars uh, abroad. And, and so we, we use those. I mean, we leverage those like as if we owned the copyrights to, to them just by being Americans and by, you know, representing our country that was given credit for the game. Um, even though Naismith was Canadian, but we'll take it, you know, whatever. Um, so it's interesting, you know, it's just, it's really interesting to see the mix and the blend. And then there's, you know, there's spaces on the planet that don't, you know, the American sentiment's not great unless you're talking about basketball <laughs> and then it's fine, you know. Yeah. Very much. And that brings me to the last question I wanted to, to have us look at is that why is basketball diplomacy so important? What do people need to bear in mind about its limitations? But also given our present world, say in the past few years, why is it perhaps 
not just so important, but so important now. Oh man, there's you know that there's a dissertation waiting to be uh, delivered on on that question. But I think uh, just simplistically, it's leading with the game. So when I'm traveling, I'm not introducing. Hey, I'm Chris. I'm an American. I'm Chris. I'm from Texas. I'm Chris. I represent San Antonio, or I, I re- represent a, a democratic republic, representative you know government. I represent a two party system. I represent a slew of religions. I you know I don't. I it's hey, I'm a basketball coach. You know, I'm a basketball player. I'm a basketball ambassador. I'm a basketball guy. You know, when that's the initial crux of a meeting, you know, of an introduction, everything else after that is just so much easier. So even if those barriers weren't permeable, they weren't, couldn't get through, there were all these hurdles. If basketball is the foot in the door, then you're giving some allowance for all these other things to exist, you know, in that space. And a lot of times, historically, in other methods of diplomacy, we're not leading with such a unique tool. We're leading with something else. You know, we're leading with, I mean, there's been struggles where the states have gone out and they've offered financial aid. They've just been like, hey, here's a check, uh, go spend it. And there's still been some static on that because there's pride involved, because there's whatever. So when you're looking to develop relationships, and I think right now in our, our world, as you alluded to, the most important thing that we have is relationships. And when you're looking to build those things, basketball just gives us such a really powerful and unique kind of, like I mentioned earlier, it's almost like a cheat code. We're going to bypass a lot of the other things that don't work as well, or they may only work in certain spaces. And we're going to use this game that is the fastest growing growing game on the planet. And that's being watched and observed and played all over the planet. And we're going to use that instead. And uh, it's a huge, very impactive piece to this execution. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come by today and share your experiences and perspectives with us. We'll see you all next time.